In this episode of Athletic Training Chat, we have Alyssa Vanneman, one of the founding members of Latinx ATs. Um, at the time of this episode, Alyssa was still working in LA, um, but since then, uh, because we did not get this out soon enough, she has taken a new job at Arizona Western College, so we wanted to congratulate her on that and just update every one on this as you get into this episode and she talks about that a little bit. In this episode we talk about going a DAT route and now that Alyssa has been into that program for a little while uh, she gives some really unique insight on DAT versus PhD. Uh, we also talk about Latinx ATs and founding it, uh, what inclusion looks like and how to make that a focus not only for the different groups but for others including myself that want to be allies to help just make things better as when it comes to everyone in the field of athletic training as always we are powered by Mueller Sports Medicine please consider them for your next sports medicine related purchase uh, don't ever hesitate to reach out to them with new ideas they are constantly innovating and trying to come up with stuff that helps us as athletic trainers do what we need to do. Without further ado, enjoy this episode. this episode of Athletic Training Chat, we are on with Alyssa Vanneman, who is out in California. Um, athletic trainer out there, we were just talking, on, we've actually interviewed once and we're doing this a second time through, which is going to be great. I'm, I'm looking forward to the insight here um, with that, is especially around the DAT and Latinx ATs, but just talking about the world of how we're still trying to figure out COVID in the early part of August. Um, which we also had this conversation and when I don't even we did that now it was well over a month ago um, of when we did that so how things have changed yet not really at the same time but uh, without further ado I'm gonna turn it over to Alyssa to just introduce herself and then we'll jump in um, talking about the DAT and now that you're I guess a semester slash however a term into it we'll just say a that and, yeah so, <laughs> Um, the relatively recent launch of Latinx ATs and everything that has gone into that. So, yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you. Uh, so my name is Alyssa Vanneman. I am currently an assistant athletic trainer over here in Southern California at Cal State uh, LA, California State University, Los Angeles. It's part of the um, UC or CSU system. And uh, as Joel mentioned, I'm also a co-founder of Latinx ATs, um, which is launched recently and has been a primary focus. Like um, we mentioned, COVID has kind of changed things, but not really. So this has kind of been um, my, myself and our co-founder's baby over this um, few months period. And we've been really trying to make it a focus. What a great time for something like that to be able to whole focus to it that's fantastic Thank um, you. so going back um some of the questions we talked about before but still very pertinent um a you work as, as an athletic trainer at university which is its own <laughs> bear of a uh, yeah it's its own monster right there <laughs> yep and then also doing a little bit of per diem work um you know on call as needed type stuff that we talked about um mm -hmm. But deciding to go back to be a doctoral student, and the first time we chatted about it, you were only maybe like a week, maybe two in. So right, I was very fresh. <laughs> you were just getting the hang of it, and yeah, obviously with the world that we're in, you haven't been back to work yet um, in a, a quote-unquote traditional sense, but how do you see, or how have you and foresee in the future, um, balancing the, between the professional work and the requirements of a doctoral degree and if I remember right the DAT through Indiana State is it's relatively quick mm -hmm. coursework so it's not like you're like for me I'm doing one three credit course every eight weeks 
plenty for me to handle it, but it's going to take me four plus years to get through everything. Right. Not the case with you. So how have you found balancing all of that? Right. So um, like you said, the ISUDAT program, it's in a unique setup in the fact that we get done in two years. Right. Um, with that, you are signing up for an extensive course load um, to get to get through your classes in that amount of time. So we don't take summers off. So we have summer courses mm -hmm. that um, are required full time and you're required to be full time for your rest of the time in the DAT. So over the summer, I did take uh, eight units or actually eight or nine. Yeah, eight or nine. See, they, they all mushed together. <laughs> um, I did take three classes. Um, and so that was considered full time during the summer and we got it done in eight weeks. So it is very extensive. But one thing that I did have to learn is how to manage my time. And that is something that is so stressed in the DAT program, not just for your time in the DAT, but for after as well, too. Um, for me, going into the doctoral program, it was very important that I not stop learning. Once I was done with my DAT, I wanted to go on and continue learning and continue being involved with anything and or with everything else that I was interested in. And with that, comes time management. So it starts in the DAT and hopefully you develop that healthy habit of managing your time efficiently and then you can take that um, out of the DAT. Um, but yeah, it's it's not for the faint of heart, but the um, reward at the end is definitely, is definitely worth it. And getting through that first semester and kind of getting my toes wet, I feel like now I'm able to tread water and then you know, we can kind of start getting onto Michael Phelps status, you know, each, each, right. um, each kind of semester getting more and more adjusted to what the coursework is. So a lot of options out there when it comes to doctoral stuff. Um, I was just having this conversation with one of your other co-founders who just recently finished their DAT. Um, yes. Obviously, I, between um, Indiana State and AT still is very big. Um, out there with the DAT and then obviously there's PhD programs for about anything that you'd want to do. Right. What first, what drove you to go back and get your doctoral degree? And then kind of part B of that is why looking at a doctor in athletic training versus I, the quote unquote traditional, you know, PhD or EDD type mm -hmm. of education. Right. So I actually finished my master's degree in um, May of 2020. So right in the heat of the pandemic nope. and then started my doctoral program in June. So I had like a two week break and then I jumped right into it. So Keep really, going. yeah. So I really, I felt my, foot on the gas pedal and really just didn't want to take it off. And I'm like, I'm here now. Let's just keep going. Um, so it was never really going back for me. It was kind of keeping my foot on the gas and keep going. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and I'm very fortunate that, that I had the ability to do that because I yeah. know a lot of people do not have that ability. So I'm very fortunate in that regard. Um, what really drove me to get a DAT over a PhD was and then the, if I can say it kind of boldly, I really didn't feel fulfilled in my master's program. Sure. Uh, and, and that is no disrespect to my institution or anything like that. I just felt like I left my master's program only with half of my cup filled and I wanted to pursue a DAT to get my full cup. Um, is the best way I can explain it. I felt like I got some knowledge in my master's degree, but it was, wasn't really making me a better clinician. It was making me a better researcher. It was making me a better scholar, no doubt, but I wanted to be a better clinician, a better athletic trainer, a better person to serve patients. And I didn't feel like I was reaching my full potential in my master's program. So that's what really drove me to the DAT. And like you said, there's so many different options of where you want to go to pursue a DAT. But what really drove me to Indiana State was I had honestly been following them on Twitter and social media and Dr. Everman and Dr. Games. And I just really liked their transparency, but also their willingness to, to just help to this that you could feel their generosity anytime that I interacted when I wasn't a student mm -hmm. and that sense 
was just confirmed when I did join the program. Dr. Eberman, Dr. Rivera, and Dr. Games have really just been everything that I assumed before coming into the program. Um, So, yeah. And we got to do um, an episode. One of of the co-hosts did it, and yeah, it, it, it sets a high mark, but man... That, like that's a, a community you feel like you want to be a part of. Absolutely. We, we talk about tradition of excellence at ISU and, and they definitely, they definitely exemplify that they're the ISU brand is what they set out in the person, the people that they are. And it is something, once you talk to them, you're just like, I, I could just talk to you all day. You just right. get that feeling. Yeah. yeah. And, and it's, it's genuine. What you see is what you get. Now, when we talked the first time, you hadn't had a chance to go to Terre Haute, Indiana. Have you, yeah. Did you? I, there was like a big weekend. I think I saw pop up on Twitter. I didn't. I didn't dig. Yeah. Into it. Was that in person or no? Not yet. So, so the way that we do the coursework at ISU at the end of every semester, we have what we call DAT weekends, which are basically extensive in-person training. Okay. Um, kind of enforce what we learned in coursework over the computer. Right. Um, but unfortunately with COVID, I do live with my grandparents here in Los okay. Angeles. So, and they are considered in the high risk group. So I took it upon myself. We were given the option. If you weren't comfortable traveling, you don't have to go to Terre Haute. Okay. So I took in virtually over Zoom. So I was there with uh, a few other students via telemedicine and yep. Um, so we did, um, practicals and stuff over the computer, but I just tuned in over my computer, but, um, hopefully I'm looking for fall or December ish to go out to Terre Haute. Such a great place. Many, right? of, many <laughs> of the national cross country meet that have, uh, have I attended in Terre Haute. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember you telling me that story. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I distinctly remember one time I was there walking down to an Applebee's. Um, to just get something to eat because where our hotel was, there was nothing else around. Yeah. <laughs> um, anyhow, um, I remember we talked about this, but I want to ask again. You know, with the more clinical base, and you've referenced, you know, you felt a little um, underwhelmed by get, getting your master's, and I can relate to that. I mean, I definitely went for my master's for the experience and the GA ship in hindsight. And yes, I learned some stuff in my actual program, but it wasn't anywhere nearly set up like this is, you know, like your program that you're doing now, or even I kind of changed my whole educational mindset and my current thing. I I left a lot to be learned at Kansas when I was there and that's on me, but um, being more clinical, you know, what is the ultimate end game with finishing this program? Is it just a enhancing your clinical skills, which is always a good thing. And this puts it kind of on the fast track, you know, instead of a lot of different continuing educations or weekend certifications or, you know, potentially the option of teaching in the future or doing something like that. Yeah. So one thing that I was told, even when interviewing for the DAT was you're going to have these set expectations coming in and they're going to totally change because of the experiences that you're exposed to while in the DAT. So when I initially joined the DAT before my first semester, it was to become a better clinician Mm -hmm. and then to eventually um, later down the line, become a head athletic trainer at an institution, at a collegiate institution. Those were my goals. Um, But recently, um, I have been more open to wanting to teach, and it really has made me inspired to want to pass on what I'm learning to other people. And I Mm -hmm. think um, part of that tradition of excellence I mentioned is that you are getting this high quality of knowledge, and you just feel like I need to tell somebody, I need to have other people experience what I'm experiencing. Um, Because you feel it changing you, and you want to you're changing for the better. So it's like, why wouldn't I want to put that on somebody? Why wouldn't I want to offer that to somebody? So definitely I I have opened up to that. Um, But I I watch, we're probably going to talk again next semester and I'm going to be like, you know what? I I kind of want to explore this now too. So I, and I'm very fortunate that I'm in a place in my life that I am open to different opportunities and open to that. Right. Um, And I do acknowledge that I'm very lucky in that aspect. So um, yeah, that's kind of where I'm at right now. <laughs> I, I'm not trying to jump off the DAT thing, so I got this question first, and then uh, if there's anything <laughs> else you want to cover, you know, if, if you 
people, you know, there's always options. I've had students for us, you know, look, do they want to go and do a DAT right away after they finish up their program or whatever it may be, or, you know, is it worth going back? You know, always the question, and this is one I had to answer for myself going back, like, is the financial, you know, investment worth the potential, you know, outcome and, you know, the career progression down the line. And that's always a great unknown, but if you had advice or like an inside scoop for people that might even, you know, have been mulling over a DAT, no matter where that might be, what, what would you tell them? I would, I would tell them one, I, I know that a DAT is not for everybody, just the structure mm-hmm. And, you know, and I I see that a lot. People ask, should I go for this degree or should I go for this degree? What do you guys think? You know, and I really think you need to ask yourself that question. That's, that's really what I tell people. Um, You know, whether it's a PhD or DAT or an MS, MA, whatever, if you're pursuing a degree, it needs to be because you want to do it because at the end of the day, you're the one completing the coursework, you're the one showing up, you're the one putting in the hours, right? So I tell people the best thing to have is your goals and what degree is going to be the best to get you to your end goal, to get you to goal A, B, and C. Um, so you need to think in the future because this degree, you're not just getting it to add, you know, alphabet soup at the end of your name, right? It's right. how you apply um, those degrees that you do earn. Um, so, you know, when people are asked, you know, should I have done this or should I have done that? You know, it, at the end of the day, it's your career, your goals. You need to know what aligns with you. Um, and then also what institution best aligns with you. I have had experience, you know, where I thought this school was going to be the best fit for me. And then talking to faculty and getting to know the program, it, it really wasn't. So you need to do your research on that part as well, too. Um, you know, so taking time to research what is best for your goals and then what is best for you and your values um, is my best advice when seeking out higher education, whether that be a DAT, PhD, MS, whatever. Yeah. Um, yeah. Perfect. <laughs> Anything else around the DAT that you want to cover before we kind of shift gears to talk Latinx ATs? Uh, you, no, I think I think you kind of touched on everything. Okay, sounds sounds good. Yeah. Um, like I had mentioned, and we'll time yours and Alejandra's um, episode to be relatively close to each other. Um, mm-hmm. But talking about Latinx ATs. Um, we're recording on August the 7th. I don't remember if there was a specific day that you guys launched, but it's within the last couple months. Um, Ultimately kind of starting off, if you want to give just a little bit of what brought about the creation or just some more like background to the genesis of this group um, that you and several others formed. Yeah. So uh, Latinx ATs was started by myself and four other of my co-founders. So we, um, the cool thing about us is obviously we're all uh, of Latin descent. We identify as Latinx um, and we all work in different facets of athletic training, um, either the secondary school level, new grad, higher education, um, kind of all over the map as well too. And Ellie, who is the initial creator and kind of brought everybody else else on board, she really identified a need in our athletic training community um, that our, our, what we call our people weren't represented. Um, The Latin community wasn't represented. And I agreed with her. And after seeing her um, post, I remember seeing the group and joining it. And it was kind of dormant at the time, just because Ellie had started her PhD program Mm -hmm. and she hadn't been really posting. But I remember thinking, I'm like, how cool. I didn't even think about this. I wish I would have thought about this. And, you know, as COVID happened and Ellie started kind of having more downtime and was able to post more and more, um, myself, Alejandra, Oscar and Javi, we kind of reached out and we're like, Hey, like if you need help getting this project off the ground, we definitely see a need for it and we're here to help you any way we can. 
And Ellie, being the person she is, she was so open and welcoming and brought us all on board and kind of connected us. And we kind of hopped on and we met over Zoom over this whole COVID thing. And we kind of sat down and like, okay, what do we want to see this? um, What do we want to see this association or, or group? Uh, take off and be and what do we want it to be for people and that's kind of where we came for now so thank you for the synopsis and this is one i actually didn't ask on the other one but i think it might be worth the clarification i know for me personally but i'm assuming other people so like the definition of latin x ver in identifying and that way versus just identifying as hispanic or Mm-hmm. But the different I'm can and I am completely ignorant on this. Um, mm-hmm. So it'd be great for me. Just the definition of that and what how different people might identify as different things and why I guess ultimately why you guys went with Latinx instead of you know another name for the group. Right. So if, first of all, you're not the first person to have these questions, which oh, kind yeah. of just just kind of reaffirms why this needs to be here right absolutely Um, and this is um if you do follow us on latinx ats um you notice a lot of our content is educational just because a lot of people just don't know and that's okay (laughs) and that is okay i would rather somebody ask with the intention of learning than Mm -hmm. assume and you know not want to learn at all so the difference between Latin and Hispanic or Latinx and Hispanic, Hispanics refers to language as Latinx or Latino or Latina um, refers to where the person is from. Okay. So um, Hispanic is usually derived from a term that means that the person speaks Spanish and why you don't want to identify or why you don't want people to or why you don't want to call somebody who is Latinx uh, Hispanic is assuming that that person speaks Spanish sure. when there are definitely uh, other countries included in Latin America that don't identify as Spanish as their main or native language. Got it. So, yeah. So Perfect. the best way I like to tell people is Hispanic is language, whereas Latin is uh, like origin where they're, where the person is from and their ethnicity. That clears it up. Yeah. A lot, and it is very helpful. Um, Honestly, had assumed it was something involving that, that Hispanic may be trying to label or pigeonhole people that it it shouldn't have, but thank you. Yeah, and the, and the cool thing about Latinx is if you came to any one of the founders and asked these questions, you would get a response like this. It's never coming from a, a guarded place of, well, you should have known that. Right. You know? Because people people don't know, and we want people to ask questions because that's how people become educated, and that's how you make change. Absolutely. So the other the next question I had on it um, is about the most loaded question I probably could ask. So um, good for me on that. But you know, with the group being formed, um, and you know, just looking across, um, Alejandra listed out some statistics um, within the end. ATA specifically, um, and just the demographics of it, you know, what does, do you personally, and as the group feel like needs to be done to help with diversity and ultimately with that inclusion, uh, which Alejandro also did a great job defining. Um, so please refer back to that. And plus also we'll take your definition of that as well. Um, Mm -hmm. so yeah, I guess broadly first, what, needs to be done what needs to improve from kind of a macro level that you see right so i will speak for myself first i do not personally feel as a latin person and in the field of athletic training that we are represented very very much if any to be honest um and that is why this 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 group was formed because we wanted to give a voice to what we know other members were feeling at the time um all of the other members within latinx and the co-founder i'm i'm sorry the other co-founders we all agree that 
this group was to educate our allies and to bring representation to a group that we didn't feel had the voice it deserved. Um, so as far as changing on a macro level, we definitely want to get more involved with EDAC. And, um, and I think we can really make a change um, going forward. Um, when we had our first Latinx meeting, it was really encouraging to see so many different EDAC members on there willing to partner up and willing to hear what we had to say as well too. Um, so I'm hoping, you know, to grow our partnership with EDAC. I think that's something that I would look forward to in the future. And then also, I know that, <coughs> excuse me, that Alejandra is really good at analyzing the statistics and mm -hmm. I wish I was as good as her. Um, I think those statistics need to be well known in the athletic training community, what our member statistics are so we can analyze and make sure that all different statistical um, cultures are represented better. So as changing on a macro sense, what I know myself and the other co-founders of Latinx ATs would love to see is more partnership and involvement um, with Latinx ATs and EDAC. Um, EDAC has really been uh, the voice of NADA's diversity and inclusion, obviously. And we would just like to become more involved and be able to offer more educational resources like offering Spanish translation mm -hmm. on infographics that EDAC puts out, um, you know, things that specifically to the Latinx population that would be useful and especially coming from myself and I know Alejandra too, we practice in, a, in Los Angeles, which is primarily black and Hispanic. Yep. Um, and we're, I'm sorry, black and Latinx, excuse me. Um, and, you know, things like Spanish translations, things about relating to patients in those populations um, would be very useful to clinicians in that base. Um, not only to relate to people who, uh, who are of Latinx descent, but also to clinicians and also peers that are just Latinx. And like you said, you know, um, you, you said ignorant, but you're not ignorant. You're curious and, and you want to be um, more educated. And that's, mm -hmm. that's, I think is amazing. And as far as diversity and inclusion, I think a big part of inclusion is including allies in our mission and goal without allies vocalizing our message and, you know, aligning with our views and our message. It, it can't, you know, reach other demographics, if that makes sense. So I think that was something that was so encouraging at our first Latinx meeting is that we, saw so many allies like yourself, you know, asking questions, how can I be a better ally? How can I be a better yep. um, clinician to serve my, this patient basis of Latinx, of my Latinx patients? How can I be better? And that was just so encouraging because I know in my undergraduate career, I went to um, an undergraduate program in Michigan and there was never a talk about treating different populations because there wasn't different populations in the setting that we were in. And that's nobody's fault. That was just what was around us. Um, yep. So, it, you know, the fact that you guys, that people are acknowledging that there is um, a need for this is just really reaffirming that we're on the right track. Yeah. And actually I, I that ties into another question, uh, but this is just a comment that kind of came up in the last conversation is, you know, when you mentioned, you know, Latinx and EDAC and what I think is awesome about both of those as I've just kind of watched from afar, you know, with it is in ultimately this is where I'm going to get to the next question about, you know, being in a place of privilege, how I slash others in that position can help is, you know, it's not all of the, especially those two groups, none of it is at the is the purpose to disparage anybody else or bring anybody Absolutely. else down. It is literally to help bring more people up. And I think that's a, a great thing. And I mean, obviously that whatever that means coming from me, but still just like the positivity of trying to help move everyone forward and, you know, get there, I think is awesome. Yeah. Um, and so ultimately, you know, again, kind of coming back to the next question of, you know, and I asked it in one of those town hall meetings uh, that you had 
uh, or maybe it was the first one. I think it mm-hmm. might have been the first one. So, okay, in the first one, you know, now more diving into this, which I really hadn't before in terms of, you know, race and culture and different things and, you know, fully being able to say, like, I recognize I am, like, the epitome of privilege. Um, and even where we're at uh, and where I work, like, you know, 10% of our campus is now considered diverse, and that is a milestone for the campus I'm at, right. uh, which is great that it's trending up, but that's still not awesome. Uh, our staff, not overly diverse. Our AT students, a little bit, but even our student athletes, not that 10% probably falls right in line with kind of everything. And so even you had mentioned, you know, having the conversation about working with those different athletes and whatnot. And, you know, we don't have a ton and we don't have a very diverse staff. And that was something I've had a discussion with the group when we did the race on athletic training podcast, which was really eye opening. And I'm hoping we can create more positions to like reach out and try and really do that. But short of that, I may hit you and Alejandra up at some point to do a little continuing ed with the staff because we just don't have anybody, we don't have anybody on staff that can have that conversation, I think. Right, right. Through it. We don't, we can talk about it and we can read about it and we can regurgitate it, but I don't know that that holds the same level of right. impact as having someone that really understands it because they have to live it. Right. Long-winded, and I'm sorry, but... <laughs> um, you know, what other things do you think, like, or would you recommend that, like, a person, you can speak directly to me, that's perfect, you know, can do to really help improve it, whether it be to encourage not only diversity, but inclusion on our staff. Um, right. Obviously, I just threw out the idea of having you call in and lead us on, lead us on a, you know, a continuing ed thing, which, I, right. Subtle side note, I can get you 10 CEUs for presenting, so that would be good. Um, all right, we're definitely doing it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but just for all the people that want to be active allies, mm-hmm. what, what recommendations or ideas would you have? So it, I, I think that's a great question. And to kind of, you know, revert back to the beginning, um, you know, we – as as Latinx ATs, like you said, we want to work in unity with EDAC. This has never has been like, you know, like a bidding war or anything like that. Our main goal is to push the profession of athletic training forward. And that's something that I really want to echo and reiterate. Um, as far as being a good ally, we actually had a few questions of that in the chat when we did have the first um, Latinx um, town hall meeting. And one one of the members actually asked to meet with us off camera and kind of just asked the founders, how do you think we can be a better ally? How can mm-hmm. I be a better ally? Because um, talking about races and culture differences, it's a really tough conversation. And especially right now, um, because culture and race and racial bias is so prevalent in the world we're living in right now. Um, And to act like it's not is kind of ignoring the problem. So I really want to commend you specifically, and obviously anyone who else is watching this podcast um, that is interested in being a better ally, you're already taking a huge first step by saying, one, I know I have privilege, but how can I use my privilege in the right way? Because I think a lot of people are in denial of the privilege that they do have and that there is a difference between races. As much as, you know, people want to say, I don't see color or, um, you know, we're all equal. That is a great dream to have, but it's not realistic, unfortunately. In the world we live in, it's, it's not right now. So the fact that you're acknowledging your privilege and you want to use your privilege in a positive way to bring equality across the races is beautiful. And I applaud you as an ally for doing that because that I believe is a big first step. The second thing I can really echo is speaking up. So it's one thing for you to be for, and I'm, I'm just using you because you're right here. <laughs> oh, that's perfect. Like I said, feel free to just talk to me. Yeah. yeah. It, it is one thing for say, yeah, I want to be an ally. I want to be an ally. I support people. That's great. Mm-hmm. But now making sure that your actions are backing up what you say. Yep. So I, I have seen people, you know, I'm not racist or I want to be an ally, but they don't shut down racist behavior that is going on in their presence. 
whether that be colorism, whether that be microaggressions or micro insults. Yep. So I always ask the question, are you really wanting to be an ally or are you just wanting to say that? So I always tell people to be the best ally you can be. You have to align your actions and your thought process with that statement. You can't mm -hmm. just say it. You got to live it and you right. got to do it. Um, because it's one thing for me as a person who identifies as Latinx to say, you can't say that to a Latinx person, but it comes from a lot. It comes from a different place and is powerful from somebody who isn't of the same descent speaking up and saying, yeah, you really can't say that. Um, and I have encountered many microaggressions throughout my time as a student and just as a person on this earth. And I can't tell you how many times I would have loved to have an ally speak up in the moment and say, no, you can't say that, or that is wrong, or that is disrespectful. I don't know if you guys have, and I haven't, I will, I will again plead that I have not gone and looked at this. It just came across my mind as we were talking. Um, but both, you know, the Latinx, AT grew or and or EDAC and I haven't gone through and looked at all of their resources either. Is that something that you are aware of that people have put together in terms of like identifying those things as an ally? Where so for me, you know, I think I can probably fairly easily identify an overly overt racist. Right. Stuff. Um to a degree, but again, I, I've never, I haven't lived it. I don't know what it means to be discriminated against. Mm -hmm. I could try and dig into that, and I, I don't. I mean, my closest experience to having being just like the outsider or different is a couple trips over to India where I stuck mm -hmm. out like a sore thumb. But again, I was invited over, so I had people that wanted to be around me, which was a great, right. you know, great feeling. You know, I, but, right. But is that something if you guys haven't done maybe I think would be extremely valuable from all, multiple different cultures from Latinx or mm -hmm. um, African-American, you know, where it's just like here, you know, I, I, what you see and feel and have experienced as a microaggression, I may not be able to recognize because it just isn't in my wheelhouse. But if I had something that could be like, Hey, this is a thing that right. I can reference and be like, now I'm aware of it to identify it. Um, a, do you know of any resources like that? Or B, would you guys be willing to kind of <laughs> maybe potentially collaborate? Because I think that would be, for a, from what I gathered, even in that town hall, a lot of what allies are looking for is like as much of like a blueprint or, you know, like a roadmap of what we could do, I would personally find extremely helpful because I think that would make, I don't want to say easier, but more recognizable for me to sit there and be like, nope, that's not, hold on now. Um, I don't know, thoughts on that now that I, again, just rambled for a while. Right, no, so actually I'm really glad that you brought it up because at Latinx ATs, we really want to pump out educational content, mm -hmm. especially for our allies. Um, so if you actually head over to, <clears throat> excuse me, any of our social medias, we have definitions of microaggressions, posts on colorism, um, relevant topics to our community. Okay. And they don't apply just to the Latinx community. Like you said, um, you know, the Latinx community is not the only one facing these struggles. Absolutely. Um, you know, so um, the post that we put out, and I don't know for on EDAC's end, I can only speak to what right. um, Latinx, what we're doing. Um, we definitely have a lot of things in the works right now. One of the projects that I'm working on is turning our social media posts into infographics. So clinicians like... Perfect, like, page of that that we could even post would be unbelievable. I know it's hard to condense it to a page, but that that's what, you know, I'm envisioning of, like, Exactly. So us as athletic trainers, we love the infographics, right? The one pagers and it's all about posters and hanging them. Yeah. Absolutely. Yes. Yes. And we're all, I'm all about the shorthand. Let's get straight to the point. Yes. So um, that's one of the big things that we're working on um, specifically is making our, our Instagram posts into infographics that people can print and have them in their clinic and that are available to them. Um, and everything that we use, um, we have sort 
resources to back them up too. So they are yeah. educational material um, that we want to, you know, stress that too. So um, that you can hang in your clinic and you have easy reference to as well too. So um, yeah, so that's something to look forward to on Latinx's part. And I'm sure EDAC has some great resources on their website as well too. Yep, and I'll go through, and just for people listening, I'll try and go through and find as many of those things that are out there currently and link yeah. up to the different things. Um, and That's obviously, awesome. I'll be linking up to all the social media uh, for Latinx ATs as well uh, for this episode. But yeah, I think when, it, when it's right there in your face, I mean, just speaking personally again, like that would be perfectly helpful to just sit there and again, we're not overly diverse, unfortunately, where I'm currently at. But when it does happen to just try and maybe notice things that were not noticeable before, just because I didn't have a, unfortunately, didn't have a frame of reference to do it. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, what else about Latinx ATs would you like to talk about? I feel like we've got a really good kind of overview of it, but anything else specifically? Um, I just really want to echo that it is an open place, not just for, I know the name of our, our group is Latinx ATs, but it really is open to everybody. And I think you saw that in the first town hall meeting, we had so many different people from so many different backgrounds and it really is just a place that we can educate people. That's what we want to do. We recently just put out our mission and vision. Um, and the reason that we waited so long to put that out is because we did want to have, we sent out a initial survey and we wanted to gather data from our members. We just didn't want to make it about the founders, what we wanted. We wanted what the group wanted. Right. Um, and I think that's something that um, is very important to us as founders. It's never going to be something that only us five want. It's going to be what the group wants and what is going to better the profession of athletic training. So I really just want to make that known. Perfect. All ready to jump in, back into those athletic training? Five yes. Questions? Yeah. <laughs> um, first one is where do you see the athletic training profession going in the next five to 10 years? So I think this is going to change from the first time that you asked me that, but okay. um, I would love to see it more diverse and I would love to see it celebrating that diversity on a higher level um, because I think that we do have so many unique people in athletic training from so many different and, and beautiful cultures and backgrounds. I would love to see more of that and highlight more um, of those cultures and diversity that we have within our profession. Agreed. Like it. Mm -hmm. uh, what advice would you give yourself if you could go back and to your former and younger athletic trainer self, and if you could just set for us what time frame that would be in. Yeah. So I, my exposure to athletic training started in high school. So when I was like high, like high school freshman ish. Mm -hmm. And when I started athletic training and really discovered what it is, I, I knew this is something that I wanted. Um, but academically, I didn't know if it was something for me. Mm -hmm. um, so a, a little personal story is I barely graduated high school. I graduated with a 1.9 GPA. And there was times where I thought that was really, that was all that was in my cards. I didn't think that I was honestly capable of much of much else um, until I started until I got to junior college and I really started learning about kinesiology and the body and I fell in love and I have what I call my aha moment I'm like mm -hmm. this is what I'm supposed to be learning this is what I need to be I don't I Macbeth really wasn't doing it for me <laughs> you know it was really about learning about the body and learning how yeah. it can help people and so the one thing I would tell my younger self is, is just like, just hold on a few more years is I know you love athletic training and you don't see yourself as much of a student, but just hold on. You're going to have your aha moment and it's going to be amazing. And it's, you're going to feel like this is where I'm supposed to be for the rest of my life. And once that aha moment happens, it's, it's just going to be amazing. So if you would have told 16 year old me that who barely graduated high school that I would be pursuing a doctorate, I'd be like, you're crazy. <laughs> um, you're crazy. Uh, I don't know what's in your water, but 
it's obviously affecting you. <laughs> um, but I, I, and I really want to echo that to any students who are listening right now. It might be hard and you might have to repeat a class or two, but that doesn't change that if this is really your mission, this is really your passion, your passion is going to take you to such great heights that you just don't know yet. Um, and just because you don't know yet doesn't mean you're lost. Um, doesn't mean that you're not worthy of getting there. It just, it just hasn't happened yet. So. I like that one. <laughs> what has been the most influential resource that you have found in your career? Oh man, that's a good one. <laughs> um, honest, honestly, my colleagues, um, and the thing, the one blessing about this pandemic is because we've had to revert to technology that I've able, been able to grow my, my connections sure. via social media, via, um, you know, Zoom or Discord or Facebook or what have you. Um, you know, it, it has really given me a chance to reach out to different AT colleagues from all over the globe and just build my connections. But it's, I love getting to meet people and like you, cause I know that's why you started this podcast is cause you like hearing people's stories and, yeah. and how you can, you know, relate to them. And I, and I'm the same way. And I think our colleagues are, are a great um, resource and an under and underutilized tool sometimes. Um, so I'm very grateful for the pandemic in that sense because I feel like it, it has given me more of an appreciation for my colleagues and my virtual colleagues um, because they, they expand my thinking every day. I'm actually really curious. I think, you know, NATA is all, you know, people are getting together and chatting and you know, all that stuff. But I think next year is going to be like that to a whole other level because, again, right. all the things you referenced, you know, now nobody else really nobody had other things to do you know so it's mm -hmm. conversations on twitter you know you mentioned discord and all the different things that are going on with that one i mean you, the the interaction and same thing with me i, I we're, in a, we're in a sea of nata happens we'll see what the world yeah. <laughs> fingers crossed joked about like in hopefully mueller will be in on this too um, shout out to them. Um, of like, dude, it'd be awesome to try and get like all the AT chat guests, like not all together at the same time, but like have a thing where it's just like, Hey, now all these random connections. And, you know, I've right. met very few of our guests in person, like ever. And, you know, short of going to convention, I don't know how that, if I'll ever get out to LA and yeah. probably <laughs> not going to come to lacrosse, Wisconsin. And I don't hold that against you. I know. <laughs> You know, I think, I think NATA is going to be crazy in that regard just because people are going to want to get together because. Right. You, you know, it's, yeah, it's like I've, I've seen you and we've traded memes over Twitter. Like, let's let's do it in real life. Yeah, yeah definitely. So if you could change or eliminate one thing could be a modality, a common um, thought process or practice in the field of athletic training, what would it be and why? So I have two. <laughs> um, and I mentioned this one last time. Uh, I'm getting rid of ultrasound. I, and if anything, I, it is, the pandemic has reaffirmed that we do not need ultrasound, um, especially using telehealth medicine. I have never been like, oh, I wish I could prescribe ultrasound for this patient. <laughs> you know, it has yeah. never been a thought that has crossed my mind. We're, if we open up, I don't know that we're going to even use the stim machines just to one more thing. We don't have to worry about sanitation wise. So I'm exactly. subtly excited for the more like manual and physical movement medicine that might be coming. So sorry. Right. Yeah, exactly. No, I'm, I'm on the same page as you too. And, um, and then also ice. Um, has been a really big topic too, uh, especially on Twitter. I know we keep referencing Twitter, but it's really big in our world right now. I've talked um, to uh, Gary Reno multiple times from the micro, <laughs> and yeah, it, the dude has thought the argument through, and it's hard to argue with him. So I'm right. with him there. Exactly, and it's it's something that I really want to try and reconsider into my practice as well too. Because if you look at it, it's like okay, really, it really makes sense. Why are we doing it? You can do a better you thing, know. I think. Yeah, 
And um, so that's definitely something I want to shy away from in my practice. Obviously, I'm not going to eliminate it completely, I don't think, because I do still use ice for analgesic purposes, mm-hmm. especially for people with a lower pain tolerance. Um, so I would like to shy away from that as well um, and get into more like compression, compression, lymphatic drainage, massage, um, range of motion to help treat. Um, you know, I'm thinking specifically like ankle exercise or ankle because that's what we see a lot of. Um, but yeah, I would like to shy away from ice coming into my practice. And, and the pandemic has really made me think, in, in addition to DAT courses, what I want to change my practice mm-hmm. into when I come back. Right. So definitely things to consider for me. I like it. Last one is what does being an athletic trainer mean to you? So I think an athletic trainer is being an athletic trainer is really a unique balance of being an advocate, a healthcare provider, but also being a confidant. So when I, when I mean that a confidant for not only your patients that you serve, but also, you know, we wear many hats, right? So that confidant, you might be a confidant for your colleague uh, you might be a confidant for your athlete, for your coworker, for your organization. And then healthcare provider, obviously, we we are healthcare providers. There's no getting away around getting around it and advocating. I don't think there has been an athletic trainer who hasn't had to advocate for our profession whether that's uh, critiquing, um, no, we're not personal trainers, we're athletic trainers, defining that difference. Yeah. Um, you know, I think we all advocate in different ways, whether you're advocating culturally, whether you're advocating, um, you know, by region, you know, we're all having to advocate in different ways that are specific to our practice, right? So I think, you know, athletic trainers, we wear many hats, but in many different situations as well, too. They're not really conducive to one setting with one patient population. I think that's the cool thing about athletic training. We, we get to wear those different hats in many different settings. Perfect. All said. Um, kind of in wrapping up, where can people follow you if they want, or, or reach out if they want to get in touch? Yeah. So, um, you can follow me on Twitter, uh, that lady lists. <laughs> um, so T H A T, um, L A D Y L Y S S. Um, and then my email is a V A N I M A at calstatela.edu. If you guys have any questions, um, and then you can also follow Latin X A T's on Twitter, which is just L A T I N X A T's and Latin X athletic trainers on Facebook and then same on Instagram as well too. Perfect. And we will link all of that up for everyone for awesome. easy finding. So, well, great to talk to you again. Thank you again. Thank for you. Time. <laughs> Thank you for having me on. Of course. Absolutely. And we'll be in touch soon. Sounds good. <laughs>